0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> All right, let me ask you a question. So imagine you have, like, the most, the, the biggest treasure in the entire world. Like, just fabulous wealth. Like, I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen those, um, those, uh, those pictures of Scrooge McDuck, right? Uncle Scrooge, like, diving in his money vault. And he's, like, just coins and, like, giant gems and paintings and things like that. So imagine you have really, like, the largest treasure in the entire world. And it's, it's like behind the safest vault in the entire world. Like no one can break into this vault and only you have the key to this vault, right? So now here's my question. What's more valuable? What's more valuable? All the contents in the vault itself, right? Or the key? Because if you don't have the key, you don't have anything. So what's more valuable? Is it the key or is it all the riches in the vault? So you have to say, I guess you need the key. I mean, you could argue it both ways, but you're not getting rich without that key. So, so in other words, we need good keys. We need good keys because life and the world and reality and our soul, everything is this giant treasure, but you have to understand how to access it. So, you need the key. You need the good key. So, so, let's, let's try to figure this out. I'll tell you a, a Hasidic story. It's very short, but the Balsham Tov was known to, among the people in the people that he would pray with, they would be thieves from the, from the town, right? So, so at one point, someone asked him, they said, you know, because the uh, Baal Shem Tov was, you know, like a very famously holy person, they'd say, you know, how is it that you're davening with a minion of thieves? And he said, because I saw the gates of heaven were locked and I needed some holy thieves to, like, pick open the lock, <laughs> right? They had to, like, do that. And And believe it or not, when I read a transcript of when Reb Shlomo went to Poland and he gave a series of concerts. They were sort of historic concerts because, as far as I know, it was the first sort of like Jewish reconciliation attempt with with Poland. You know, um, meaning to say that they weren't coming for reparations or, or anything like that. It was just a wave of Jews led by Reb Shlomo. Coming to say, okay, look, let's be friends again. That, that was an amazing thing. That, that was an amazing thing, and historic. By the way, one of the classic Reb Shlomo stories. This was actually in Germany, but it's you know thematically pretty much the same thing. He arrived in the airport for a visit to Germany, where his family was from for hundreds of years. He was from you know a line of rabbis in in, in the, in, the in, in in the German area for for hundreds of years, like I said. And his father, by the way traced their family's lineage to be descended from King David from 18 different sides of the family. Mm-hmm. Right? Amazing. That was his father who did that. That was his father's work. Who was a very, as we say, Yekish, like a very straight, you know, German Rav. Um, anyway, so, so he, Reb Shlomo arrived in, in Germany and in the airport there were some uh, news cameras to interview him. And they said to him, do you hate us? And he said, you know, he said, if I had two hearts, I could have one for loving and one for hating, but I only have one heart. So what can I do? I have to use it for loving. Amazing, amazing thing. So in this, in this transcript that I read when he was having this concert, had a series of concerts in Poland, he actually invited me on this trip. I wasn't able to go, unfortunately, but, but, um, He said to the, he told this story to the 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 people in the audience in Poland, who were mostly non-Jews, by the way, about the Baal Shem Tov, and about his minion of thieves, and how he needed, like, you know, he saw that the gates of heaven were locked, and he needed some holy thieves to, to pick it open. So, so how do we, in our own lives, pick open the locks to heaven? How do we do it? And so what I would like to suggest is you have to have the right questions asked you. See, I think that, um, and, and we can start to compile a list. And I'm trying to do that now to the, to the best that I can to try to figure out what are those questions, which are the keys to picking open the locks to your soul, right? To the locks of the world. One, one, one question, one way that I, I put it a, a few weeks ago, I don't remember the name of the talk, but was just, just I'm trying to ask the simplest questions, okay? Was, do you think that there's more to life than you can see with your eye? Yeah. Right? Such a simple question, right? But if you go down that road, be careful, <laughs> Because you're opening up, you are opening up some very iron, giant iron lock doors with that question. If you understand that there's more to this world than you can see with your eye. Okay, so that, that's one talking. Now I want to ask a new question, which is, do you think that it's possible to know everything there is in the world? So that's that's a very that's now it, it might sound like an obvious question or whatever it is you can probably guess what what my answer to that question is but but let's explore it from a more academic standpoint because there are many people, many brilliant people, many people with PhDs and high IQs and and you know who are professors and the biggest minds in the world who will tell you the following right and this is this is a very real approach. This may even be the predominant approach in the world. I don't know. They'll tell you the following. Look at the human mind. Look at what the human mind has been capable of discovering. Look what we're doing. We're doing f- ridiculous things, you know, just through scientific investigation. We're putting people on, on the moon on you know, unmanned things on, on Mars. Things are traveling for billions of miles in outer space. It's like we're curing diseases. Like it's 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 ridiculous what, what what we're coming up with. And while no one would have the hubris or the foolishness to to actually say, because no one believes this, that we know everything in the entire world, I think that there's a credible stance that you could take that in time we will solve all the questions. In time we will. We're not there yet, but based on our radical success, we are moving in that direction. And so the idea that can you know everything? Yeah, we can, we can pretty much know everything. So that's, that's one way of looking at life. And a lot of people in the world, a lot of highly intelligent people in the world, see it that way. By the way, they, they've probably never asked themselves this question. Okay, this is why this question is like a key. So let me just repeat the question. Do you think that it's possible? And this is an honest question. I'm not trying to coerce you one side or the other. I'm just asking you to ask yourself this question. Do you think that it's possible to know everything there is in the entire world? Right? In time, in time, in time, over time. So let me give you the other side to it, okay? The other side to it is that it's not possible. Why, why is it not possible? Because God is infinite, and we are finite. And the finite will never catch the infinite. It's as, it's as simple as that. So, so let, me, let me put it in, in, in another way, okay? And And by the way, when I say God is infinite and we are finite, I've got, that's, that's true on, on some level, but I, I want to say a more exact way of saying it because I'm excited by this notion. I think it's mind expanding, which is that if you asked me when I was growing up, what's the definition of infinity, I would have told you it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and it just keeps on going, keeps on going, keeps on going, and that's, that's, that's infinity, right? But, you know, not, not so many years ago, I learned that on the road to that infinite number, let's just say between, just to give you one example, between the numbers 3 and 4, but this is true between the numbers 0 and 1 and 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and on and on and on, but just to pick a famous example, between the numbers 3 and 4, you have a number called pi. Now pi is 3.14159, and it keeps on going for millions of integers without repeating itself. They run computer programs just to like, for kicks basically, just to see how many digits of pi they can get, and they've they've gotten like, I don't even know what the number is, but like reams and reams and reams of numbers of, of pi because they're trying to figure out is it truly never repeating? Or is there some pattern in there that will eventually manifest itself and then we'll see that it's not like a completely, what they call irrational number, right? And they haven't found it yet. And they have really looked hard. Mm-hmm. So you see that pi is infinite, right? So, so here's the big idea, you ready? Which is on the way to the infinite, which is 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and on and on and on and on, There are levels of infinity (laughs) on the way to the infinite. (laughs) And there are lots of them. I'm just giving you one famous example, which is pi. There are lots and lots and lots of examples of the infinite on the way to the greater infinity. So now, what did I say to you before? I said, can we ever know absolutely everything? And the other side of the question, right? The first side of the question was, Well, you know, in time, yes, based on our previous success, we don't know, but we think so. Okay, that's that's one side. The other side is, well, wait a second. God is infinite and we're finite, so how can the infinite ever catch the finite? So now I just want to make a subtle re-explanation of that. We're not the infinite chasing; we're not the finite chasing the infinite. Because we have a piece of God inside of ourselves—that's the soul. So we, like Pi, which is a level of infinity, we are also an aspect of the infinite. But we are the infinite chasing a greater infinity. <laughs> Do you understand? Because that just like pulls open, like that stretches your mind. That you realize we're not just like the, the, these tiny little, you know, toy soldiers or whatever it is. We actually are in the infinite right now, (laughs) but there's even greater levels of infinity out there, right? It's all aspects of the infinity, of the infinite, because Hashem is one, and Hashem fills the entire world, all of existence. And if Hashem is infinite, and He fills the entire world, He's filling the entire world with infinity, right? So, (laughs) So, this is important, because people get depressed, and one of the reasons why they get depressed is because here's an explanation of um, depression that I like very much, although it wasn't phrased this way. But that, that's that's what's going on from Reb Leibel Aiger, okay, one of the our greatest uh, Hasidic masters. He says he says here, here's like here's a diagram of, of 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 depression. You ready? A person thinks that listen carefully because. Today was like yesterday, okay? Because today was like yesterday, tomorrow is gonna to be like today. All right, I'll say that again. People think it's very easy to fall into this way of thinking. Very easy. Because today was like yesterday, tomorrow is gonna to be like today. Right? In other words, where what is my life moving forward? Just the past being pulled into the present. The past being pulled into the present. And this is my life. But that's not your life. (laughs) Because if you understand that we're dwelling within infinity, right? Everything can go in any direction at any single moment. And that's the reality of the situation. These aren't just, buck up, young man, (laughs) cheer up. (laughs) <laughs> you know things are going to get better. No, you're dwelling in the infinite. It can go on any access at any moment, right? Now, how do you get to a different access and everything like that? That's not what we're going to talk about this second. But that that is what is actually going on in the world. So, so let me put it another way. Again, let's we're phrasing this question because this question is a key, I believe, which is. Do you think it's possible to know for a person to know, or for humanity, however you want to phrase it, to know everything there is to know? So if we, if, we, if we take the approach, which is the truth, that there's a God in this world, and that God is infinite, how can we ever know everything that God knows? Like, imagine an ocean, and now, imagine you're holding a cup. Can one cup hold the entire ocean? Right. So, how can your head hold all of God? It, it can't be. And I'll tell you one of the, um, you know, I'll tell you that. What I had a friend as I was sort of, you know, learning more about Torah, and you know, this was taking place in my early twenties. At this point, I had just graduated college. I was just beginning my, my first job writing for television out here in Hollywood, and I don't know how old I was at the time, maybe 22, um, something like that. I was, I was having lunch with someone, uh, and he, he said to me something that always stayed with me. He said, Do you think um, an ant can outthink a human being? And I said, No. And then he said, then how can man outsmart God? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Like, and I always picture like an ant, like you're standing, like, imagine you're standing there and you look down on the ground, there's an ant, and he's like making moves, like, you know, faking to the left, faking to the right, and you're like looking at the ant and going, are you serious? <laughs> right? I mean. God, you have to understand something, here's the, here's the absurd, hilarious-slash-tragic thing about the human condition, right? Is that God creates our brains, right? God is infinite. God creates our brains, and then with our finite intelligence, we tell God what he can and can't do, and what he is and isn't capable of. It's a little bit silly, if you think about it. And in fact, logic itself, let's go a little bit deeper. You ready for this? Logic itself is a creation. (laughs) We go, well, that's that's just not logical. Well, you can't do that because it's not logical. But God hardwired our minds to process what's logical and what's not logical. Logic is a creation of God and God is not held to that logic because it's just a it's just a thing right he's beyond that so so all of this again again we just have to stay focused so I'm going to repeat the question again is it possible is it possible for a person to understand everything there is in the universe so, so there's a famous pasach in the Torah, a famous verse in the Torah, where God says to Moshe, right, who's the greatest prophet that, that ever lived, and, and, and by the way, greater than Mashiach will be. Mashiach will be greater in other things, but not in prophecy. Important distinction. Moshe is, was, and remains the greatest prophet that will ever be, okay? So Moshe asks to see, like, the fullness of God's glory, right? Now, do you you understand the implication of that? We're trying to get to the the idea. Can you know everything? So now we've got the greatest prophet, the all-time greatest prophet, asking God for a full revelation of godliness, so this is actually our question being directly addressed. Do you understand? And what does God say back to him? Very famously, no one can see my face and live. Meaning to say that no one can know everything that I know. Otherwise, at that moment, you're God. So now with that in mind, let's go back to, you know, what over the past few years has been my, my favorite, favorite teaching from the Kutzker which is, the Kutzker Rebbe says, I would never worship a God I understood. <laughs> right? And the reason being, as I understand it, because if you fully understand God, then you're also God. Then what do you need God for? In other words, let's, let's just think this through for a moment. One of the premises of God being God is that you don't understand Him. <laughs> If you completely understand him, or if you have any expectation for understanding him, God ceases to be God. So that's a humbling thought, and it's an important, necessary thought, because in today's enlightened society, we proceed like, you know what, I'm not going to do anything unless I fully understand it. But if you think about that, well, that's not, you know, crazy, right? Like, like, like if I walked into, you know, I was down south somewhere and someone says, yeah, you know, we're having, you know, a gathering of friends, whatever it is, come on in. And then it's sort of like I see there's like a big tent (laughs) and I go, Yeah, you sure? Yeah, yeah, come on in, come on in. And then there's a guy with a basket with snakes, and it's like, we're all going to get bitten by snakes. (laughs) It's really good. It's like, holy, you know? And I'm like, not for me. Um, I'll be waiting in the car. Yeah, but didn't you just say in your talk, if you have to fully understand something... (laughs) then there's something lacking in your like, you know, general approach so so, so yeah there there are certain limits to what I'm trying to say here, you know what I mean we have to use our brains right now, you know what I mean, yeah it's jump off this cliff it's like, then you have this like revelation as you're falling to your death it's awesome, <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> no, no no. I, no, I'm not doing that Yeah, but didn't you just say, (laughs) no, no, that's, that's not what I'm saying. There's, there's, but, but let's just say something like, just to give an example, so we can be a little bit more concrete in, in these things. Let's say, you know, for men putting on tefillin or for women lighting candles before sundown on Friday, on Friday, on Friday. Right? Friday evening. So you say, well, you know, there are these, like, boxes and leather straps, and I don't get it. But you see, you put it on, and, you know, you're not jumping off a cliff. You're not walking into a tent where snakes are biting you. It's just something that you do not understand. I got it. You can read up on it and get your mind blown about what's going on with it. But there's no... Real risk. There's no risk to your safety, to your existential being. There's no, there's no risk. And yet, there are all these unbelievable blessings and light that comes into the world. Same thing with lighting candles. Like, what's the difference? So I like to light a candle on a, on a, on a Thursday and, you know, just sit and have some quiet time and read. Great. That's fine, but there's something special about doing it before the sun sets Friday night. But I don't understand it. But that's okay. You don't have to fully understand it. So we'll get more into that in a moment. And to help to explain that, I want to give a, a classic teaching. So really one of my favorite teachings in, in Torah. But... We need to do a little bit of homework before we can get to the teaching, okay? So let's review some, some ideas, and then, and then you'll see it, okay? So whenever we talk about the holiest name of Hashem, that's the, 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 the sometimes it's called the Shem Havaya. In, in English, if, you, if they want to really try to be like spooky and cool, they call it the Tetragrammaton, right? Like, that sounds like very sci-fi, right? Like, wow, <laughs> you know? But, but in, in Jewish circles, we'll refer to it as the Yudke Vavke. Okay, that's the four-letter name of Hashem. And, and, and there's so much contained within it. It's basically an amalgam of the infinite. Okay, it's three verb tenses... Sort of squished together and made into one word, which was was is, and will be past, present, and future, and it's all kind of put together in in one four letter name okay and if you actually sort of like diagram it, there are amazing amazing teachings that come from this, like you can 't even believe it we've been talking. For years, in, I mean, we've been talking for actually millennia about this because it's just this bottomless well of insight, okay? So it's the letter Yud, and what I'm suggesting is that when you picture this name, especially when we do um, teachings based on it, that you imagine it like a tower or a ladder or something like that. A ladder is probably a, a better word, okay? So you have the Yud on top, and that's standing for the like the highest, most infinite reaches of heaven, and underneath that, the letter hey. And underneath that, the letter vav. And underneath that, the letter hey. Okay? And that bottom hey stands for this realm that we all dwell in. Okay? And in fact, the bottom two letters, the vav and the hey, sort of like represent the revealed realms. Okay? Those things that you can sort of grasp, at least. Then you have the upper two letters, the upper yud and, and hey. And that's basically you're getting out into the stratosphere. Okay, metaphysically you're in like beyond, beyond, beyond land. Okay, so, so that's, that's sort of the name of Hashem. And now what we're talking about is, you see, in this week's Parsha, we talk about the ultimate, what's called a hulk. Okay, the partial is called chukas, the ultimate chok, which is that thing that you can't understand. And, and what it's dealing with is death. And that our approach is, is that if you get too close to death, that there's a certain impurity that comes your way, a spiritual impurity that comes your way. And a person has to be cleansed from that. Right? This is all on a spiritual level. This is not hygiene. This is like spirituality. Okay? And so there's a process for, for getting to that, that place of being healed from contact from death. Okay? Which is called tumas mes in Hebrew. Okay? Now, now the idea is like this. And this is called a paradox... That they say that Moshe couldn't understand until the very end of his life. Bless you. And that King Solomon, the wisest of people, like couldn't understand. So this is this is this is big. It's a, it's a conundrum. You ready? The idea is that you take this red heifer, which is all red, and we'll get to that, God willing, later on in the talk. It's all red except for a few hairs, okay? And And you burn it and you sort of mix it with some red string and hyssop and living waters and things like this. And you make this mixture. And that everyone who's sort of like comes into contact with these waters from the ashes of the red heifer becomes spiritually cleansed. But everyone who participated in the preparation of those ashes becomes spiritually defiled spiritually impure. So this is a paradox. How can that thing, which is making one set of people spiritually impure, is simultaneously making the person on the receiving end pure? So if that seems like a contradiction, that is the point. (laughs) It is like, it is one of these mind-boggling things that we can't understand. So it's called the ultimate chok, the ultimate Example of that level of teaching that is that that is not that's beyond the rational. Now I want to make this distinction, which is you have when we're talking about it on a Torah level, you might think that the opposite of rational is irrational, meaning that oh it just doesn't make any sense. It's just uh, who knows? It's just a ritual, ah, right? But that's, that's not the case. You have the rational, and then you have what I like to call the super rational, right? Which is that, as we were saying, and we're all kind of building in this talk, as we were talking about initially, you have your mind, which relative to God is finite, and then you have the infinite levels, right? So at a certain place, your rational mind, your created mind, hits a ceiling right? But that doesn't end reality. That doesn't end creation. There's way more creation, in fact the majority of creation, beyond that point. So how do you get to those places beyond that point? That is the realm of the super-rational. So this is where the mitzvahs come in, and now we've done our homework and we can get to the teaching. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So this is a classic teaching, one of the greatest teachings in Torah. You ready for this? In my opinion. You have the word mitzvah, because we were talking about hey, putting on tefillin, lighting candles, like what's what's going on with mitzvahs? I don't really understand it, and I, I don't feel comfortable doing something that I don't understand. And whatever. So, let's talk about what a mitzvah is. So, mitzvah is spelled mem tzadi vav hey. Okay, does that? Now, we were talking about the name of Hashem a few moments ago, right? Which was Yud and He, and listen carefully, Vav and He. Now, do you hear a similarity with the spelling of the word mitzvah? Memsadi, okay, that doesn't track. Vav He, hey, wait a second. <laughs> we have a winner, right? So, So the last two letters of the word mitzvah are the last two letters of the name of Hashem, which correlate with which realms? The revealed realms. That's what we said, right? But then you have, still you have the first two letters of Hashem's name, the Yud and the He, which are like beyond, 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 beyond. Okay. Now, before we can complete this idea, we have to take a side trip into the realm of a field called Atbash. Okay, what is Atbash? Okay, Atbash is a system of understanding the Torah on a deeper way that's in the Gomorrah. The Gomorrah, the Talmud, brings this, okay? And if you want to look it up, it's on Kuf Dalet in Masechta Shabbos. And the way you remember that is because Kuf Dalid is also an Atbash. So the page that talks about Atbash is on an Atbash. Okay, I realized that while I was driving one time, and I uh-huh. almost hit a car. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> so, what is adbash? Okay, that's only interesting if you know what the word adbash means. Okay, so now you just take a moment, exhale. <laughs> it's going to take a minute to explain what adbash is, and then we'll go back to the correlation between the word mitzvah and the yud ke. Okay, so what is Atbash? Atbash is, again, you see, you know, one of my favorite stories, I haven't told it in a while. When I, uh, when, when I, I had been learning Torah for a couple of years, you know, whatever. Anyway, I was in Yerushalayim, and, and I went to uh, uh, Israelite, which was taught by Rabbi David Aaron. And I was there in the old city on the, the first class of the first day, and, you know, there was a group of people and Rabbi Aaron was standing there in front of a, a, a blackboard and he said, OK, this is how he began the first class of her day." he goes, OK, what's the Torah? And someone raises their hand, he says, go ahead. And they say, a book of history. And he says, great. And he writes on the blackboard, book of history. And someone else raises their hand and he goes, go ahead. And they say, a book of laws. He says, great. And he writes on a book of laws. And then I raise my hand and he says, go ahead. And I said, it's the infinite compressed into the finite and he said okay let's hold off on that for a moment <laughs> you know so <laughs> but that's that's what the torah is the torah is the infinite compressed into the finite and if you actually look at a torah now this is a book of torah i'm holding up a chumash right now and there's like tons of English, this is also translated into English, and there's tons of commentary in here. Look how small the Torah actually is. The five books is. It's really, it's a pretty small book. And yet, how is it that we're learning it? The greatest geniuses in humanity have been learning it all day, generation after generation, for thousands of years, and we haven't run out of things to say. Because it's the infinite compressed into the finite. All right. And each one of these letters, if you were to trace one of these letters, the letters go all the way up to the highest spheres of heaven because the entire world is made out of Torah. Right? And it just goes from an energy level into a finite level. That's the whole idea of E equals MC squared. Right? That's Einstein. Energy becomes mass. So energy or light, you can substitute the word light there. God takes his outer garment of light and compresses it and compacts it until it becomes the physical universe. It's one spectrum. See, this is something that a lot of people don't understand. They go, you know, I'm not really spiritual. It's like, dude, all you are is spiritual. You are compacted spirituality. This entire world is compacted spirituality. Or if you want to say light, that's, that's a more secular term, but it works equally well. It's all compacted light. That's all, that's all is going on. Okay. Okay. So, so let's get back to the idea of Atbash. So basically, the letters, the letters, the Hebrew letters, the whole world, basically God made the world out of the Hebrew letters. Right? That's a very mystical idea. But, but if you think of the letters as different energy wavelengths, OK, then you start to get the idea. You know It's not like there's a giant dolid floating, floating in the sky and a giant hay. And then God is like hammering the Dalet in the hay and making Cleveland, right? It's like, <laughs> that's not what it is. They're, these are energies. These are energies. And then eventually they're going to come down into a form where they look like letters, right? But, but really they're, they're, they're very, very high emanations of energy and light, okay? Because if you look at the root of the letter, I'll tell you this, I, I learned this from the of Vashemesh. Zechert um, Saddach And he said something really amazing, which is that, you know, you see, the way things work is you have light and vessels. That, that's kind of like, that's kind of, you know, if you think about it, even in terms of like humanity, like on a physical level, right? It's light and vessels. Light and ve- everything is light and vessels. So in the highest reaches of heaven, right? The vessels are also made out of light. It hasn't gotten to the physical place yet where the vessels are physical yet. So you've got higher emanations of light going into a vessel, which is also an emanation of light, but it's just a slightly more physicalized one, but it's still exalted light. But then that vessel then goes into another vessel, into another vessel, into another vessel. And as it descends and descends and descends, eventually it takes on a materiality. Right? And that's, while we're here, might as well say the thought, that's what won the Nobel Prize in Physics about five or six years ago. The Higgs boson, um, it, it was also called the God Particle. What they discovered was, they said, look, see, it's not a particle. There are a lot of misnomers around it. It's a field of energy. And what they were trying to figure out was, again, they didn't realize that they were proving what Judaism Judaism has been saying about the creation of the universe. They were just approaching it from a purely scientific physics, Einsteinian standpoint, which is that if energy becomes materiality, there should be a moment where we see like a an aspect of energy taking on mass right in other words where is that moment where if you're saying that mass that that energy becomes mass like energy is becoming physicalized we should be able to observe that first moment where the physicalization of energy takes place, right? Where is that energy spectrum, that energy field, where we can detect mass for the first time? And they found it. They found it. It's an incredible thing. Like we're talking about this spectrum where energy becomes mass. And they found the moment where energy takes on mass, which is proof Of what this theory in in Torah, if you want to know the fancy term for what we're talking about, it's called simsum. Okay, that's what simsum is. That they found it, they found it. That's incredible because it tells you that that our kabbalists and our holy rabbis and what we've been doing, the work that we've been doing for thousands of years, is all being proved scientifically right now. That's an amazing. That's an amazing thing. Okay, and by the way. You have to understand that our earliest holy rabbis, they they weren't just geniuses, but they were so holy that they were also in touch with the beyond. So there was a combination of genius and holiness and Ruach HaKodesh, all these things coming down. Um, But one thing, and I heard Rabbi Avram Sutton say this, and and I, I love this point, I think it's a really valuable point. Because we, ha- we have to have the proper cover the proper respect when we learn these early teachings. And we have to understand that they didn't have the vocabulary of the modern academic world. They couldn't throw out words like gluons and, you know, you know Higgs boson and protons and electrons. They didn't have that vocabulary. So they were putting in simple things, like when they wanted to talk about something very small, they would say a mustard seed right? And you go, ho, 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 a mustard seed, right? Like, you're a genius, right? Like, they actually are geniuses. And you're like, you don't even know what the heck they're talking about. And you're like, ho, ho, a mustard seed. How quaint, you know? So, but but the fact that they didn't have the vocabulary doesn't mean that the ideas weren't there. You just have to understand how to read it, right? So... So that's just an example of the just not falling into the trap of like the ridiculous arrogance, you know, of 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 sort of the modern scientific world looking back on these like genuine insights. Okay, so we still haven't gotten to Atbash, so we have to pick up the thread. Let's let's reacquaint ourselves where we are in this lesson. We 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 started off by saying. Imagine you have a treasure, right? But the only way to get to the treasure is with the key. (laughs) So what's now more valuable, the key or the treasure? Because without the key, you're never going to get to the treasure. So we need good keys. The keys, I'm suggesting, are these very pointed questions. Very simple questions that we can ask ourselves. Like, for instance... Do you think that there's more to the world than you can see with your eyes? Right? Very important question. That's going to lead to a lot of things. Another question, which is the one that we're doing today, is, do you think that you can know everything, or that humanity will ever know any, everything, that there is to know in the world? A very, very simple, but very, very important question because these will define how we live our lives and the choices that we make. Okay. So what I've tried to explain to you is that the that the Torah is infinite and that what we have is when we talk about the when most people talk about the Torah, see if you want to be on a more sophisticated level and really understand what, 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 what the rabbis and what the whole Jewish approach is talking about, you have to understand that the entire world is made out of Torah. Anyone who thinks that the Torah is a book or an ancient scroll doesn't will never get to step one of understanding what the Jewish vision of the world is. Okay, You have to understand we're dwelling within the infinite light. We're dwelling within Torah itself, which is, so to speak, the mind of god right what is it that we're swimming in we're swimming in god's consciousness there's not there's no void between me and you right now the only thing that's 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 going on between me and you right now is god's consciousness and of course god's consciousness pervades the two of us as well okay so Atbash. So God created the world out of the Hebrew letters. And just one of my favorite teachings, what, what Reb Shlomo said one time was that when the wind blows through the trees, the sound of the rustling that the trees make is in Hebrew. <laughs> Isn't that great? That the, the sound of nature itself is in Hebrew. Right? Because the whole world is made out of the Hebrew letters. Okay. So now The rabbis have given us, because the Torah is such a small book and yet so infinite, they've given us certain tools, certain ways to unpack the infinity of the Torah. One of these things is called Atbash. So now, what is Atbash? Okay, fine. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And now imagine that I'm making a line of 11 letters, and underneath that, directly underneath, another line of 11 letters, right? It's because 11 and 11 is 22, right? Very good. That's a very simple model. You can picture that in your head. Now, imagine that I've arranged the letters in a sequential way, almost like a horseship. Like you start with Aleph, and you get all the way to the 11th letter, and then you make a turn... And then underneath the Aleph now is going to be the last letter of the Aleph base. Okay, So, so now you've got two lines of 11. Under the first letter Aleph will be the letter Taf, the last letter, right? Now the second letter is going to be bays, And underneath the letter bayes is going to be the letter Shin, the second to the last letter. And on and on, the third letter, the third to last letter, the fourth letter, the fourth to last letter. By the way, the fourth letter is Dalid, yeah. and the fourth to last letter is Kuf, and this explanation is on Kuf Dalid of Masechet Shabbos. Okay, that's what I was telling you. That it's an Atbash. Okay, so the so 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 now why is it called Atbash? Because Aleph Tuf spells At, and Beis Shin spells at Atbash. Okay, uh-huh. so everyone, everyone with me. Okay, hopefully you're with me. So so now that we understand now now what is the technique that the that the rabbis are giving us with this thing called atbash. They're telling us that when you see a, a word from the Torah that you can take the letter like imagine those two lines of 11, right? You can exchange the letter Below or the letter above for the letter in the word itself. So you can take a Hebrew word and you can find out what is the atbash of that word, which is sort of like the inverse or the other dimensional manifestation of that word. And then if you get really way out, you can take the gematria of the atbash, right? You can start to get the, you can start to go into like, uncharted territory there. Now, I have to tell you that just a, a, as long as we're talking about uncharted ter- territory, just a, a rule, <laughs> which is that you can't say anything. Torah, new Torah insights are prized, and they literally fuel the world, okay? Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says that all the great rabbis talk about the power of chedushim, like new, new thoughts in Torah but as Rabbi Green once put it, you don't want to make it so new that God didn't think of it right, because <laughs> then that's just wrong, <laughs> okay, so you've got new idea and you've got incorrect idea, so <laughs> anything that contradicts halacha, right, like the Jewish principles and Jewish law, that idea would be considered, well, you know good try, good try, but would not be considered a a real Torah insight. But if it doesn't contradict halacha, then you've got something there, right? And you can rely on the Or Hachayim, who who sets out this idea very explicitly, that as long as it doesn't contradict Jewish law, then, then that idea is, you know, there's something there. Okay? So, So that's Atbash. So now we're ready to explain our teaching. If you remember, what, what, what was our teaching? We wanted to say that we've got the Yudke Vavke, God's holiest name. And then we've got this word mitzvah. Like, like what are, what are the mitzvahs doing? Especially those mitzvahs that are taking me to the super-rational place. Right? To that place which is beyond right? I want access to those places. So, so we said, well, isn't it interesting that the name of Hashem, yud key vav or yud and heh and vav those heh that vav and which stand for these realms which are you know, more accessible or more, you know, this is where we dwell in the bottom Heh, those are the last two letters of the word mitzvah, right? mem sadi vav Okay, so now you're ready for the end. If you take the Atbash of Mem Sadi, you know what it is? It's its yud hay. <laughs> mm. So, So it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Because it shows you that the word mitzvah the first two letters of mitzvah are yud and he, which is the highest reaches of heaven, but they've been brought down to this realm through the technique of atbash. In other words, what are mitzvahs? Mitzvahs are taking you from this realm, the vavhe, the last two letters of, mitzvah, of, of the name of Hashem, to the upper reaches of the stratospheres of the beyond. Mitzvahs are giving you wings to travel to the super rational, to that place where your mind can't go, but which you now have a key to, to which you have access to, through the mitzvahs themselves, which are from Hashem, who designed them for you, to take you to those places. This is incredible. This is incredible. <clears throat> And, and a person has to approach a teaching like this and approach that all of the gates, all of the locked gates in their life that are being opened through the mitzvot, you have to approach this with the utmost humility. You have to go, you mean I'm giving an entree into the beyond, into places my mind will never even fathom through tefillin? Through, through lighting candles? Through keeping Shabbos? And the answer is yes. And this is going to fix my soul in a way and polish my soul in a way where I become the recipient of all that light and goodness for all eternity? Yes. And through these things I bring coherence to heaven and earth by bringing heaven down to earth and turning earth into heaven? Yes. But I don't understand it all. Do I still have to do it? Well, that brings us back to our key. Do you think you'll or will ever understand everything? (laughs) And if the answer is no, then why hold yourself prisoner to a mistaken premise that you don't even believe in yourself?